Good evening, church. Here we are again, ready to worship our God, and heaven is ready, and looking forward to it. And God is ready, and we are ready. Welcome each one of you. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, our great God, thank you for uh, blessing us this day, another day, to worship you and to hear a message from your word. Bless us, Lord God, as we look into your word. Open our minds and our hearts to receive your message from you, whatever that message might be. And we're thankful, Lord God, for this blessed occasion and opportunity. Thank you so very much for Jesus, your great son. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And thank you to be that will. Amen. Uh, we're going over to John chapter 20. Our names are important because while they're significant in history and in our heritage and they separate us, if you will, even in our community and give us this certain identity. And then nicknames are also uh, interesting. They're um, those kinds of names that carry some type of weight because they express something unique about us. Right? And so tonight's nickname that we normally hear is Doubting Thomas, right? You know, we gave him that nickname. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> but Doubting Thomas. But tonight I want to transform that name or change that, that thought, if you will, from Doubting Thomas to Thomas the Scapegoat. And I'll explain to you why as we go through our lesson. John chapter 20. Thomas, also called the twin, gained this nickname, Doubting Thomas, because of one incident in, in his life. And I want us to look at that incident. Beginning at verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Verse 20 says, And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Think about this for just a moment. So Jesus shows up and he, he says, Peace be with you. And the very next thing that happens, whatever that delay may be, Jesus shows those who were present his hands and his side. Why did he do that? Were they standing in bewilderment? Were they kind of confused? Jesus shows up, doors are shut, and he says, peace be with you, and you're kind of wondering, who is this? Or whatever they were thinking in their hearts and in their minds, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas didn't get to see what they saw. Look, if you will, at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. Let me just add this in there. We saw his hands and his side. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. What I really love about the, uh, the text there is Thomas is very descriptive about what it's going to take for him to move from unbelief to belief, right? He says, I, I need to not just see it, but I want to touch it too. Perhaps the others thought, well, I'm not going to believe that's Jesus unless I see his hands in his side. And that's why Jesus showed them his hands in his side. Verse 25 says, The other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Maybe Thomas just said out loud what they were thinking. Maybe he became the scapegoat for the apostles. Verse 26. And eight days later, or eight days, um, after eight days, again, his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. The same entrance, right? He said it the first time. He says it a second time. And he does nothing different. He does the exact same thing, except he identifies Thomas this time. In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and be not unbelieving, but believing. It's the same, it's the same thing. The only difference is he speaks specifically to Thomas, who wasn't there the first time. And he adds one thing to it while he shows his hands in his side. He says, and Thomas, you can reach here your finger and feel it. And what's so amazing about this text to me? Can you imagine the thinking of Thomas as Jesus accurately reminds him of the conversation that was held eight days ago? He knew exactly what Thomas needed to believe and to understand and to take him to that next level of faith. And I'll tell you something about Thomas. He's the one who gets it. He gets it because verse 28 is not an accident. Thomas said or answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Isn't that what Jesus has been trying to to teach them? John 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus is the Lord and God. And Thomas sees this and says, My Lord and my God. Because Thomas recognizes Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember this. Why were they in that room with the doors locked? For fear of the Jews. Thomas got it. Thank you, God. This is my Lord and my God. Verse 18, no man has seen God. At any time, the only begotten God 
who's in the bosom of the Father, he explains him. There's so much more to Thomas. I want us to look just John chapter 11 into the heart of Thomas as, as we think. There isn't a lot written about Thomas other than that he was an apostle, but let's look at some of the things about, about Thomas. Number one, Thomas gets it, right? Who Jesus is, our Lord and, and our God. When Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus uh, died, the Bible says he waited about four days, and they were about to go into Judea. And Jesus, for some reason, said, we've got to go into Judea. And in John 11, in verse 3, the sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now listen to the issue. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea. Verse 11. This he said after that he had said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. And the disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. In other words, we don't have to go. This isn't Thomas who's talking. This, these are the other disciples, the same 11 who are, if you will, in the upper room, or, uh, and, and, you know, or not 10 rather, who are in the upper room. And, and Thomas is not, he's not with them on this. They're saying if, if Lazarus has fallen asleep, we don't have to go check on him. He's good, right? He'll wake up. Why were they... Why were, they, why were they trying to talk Jesus out of going to Judea? Their faith. They, they hadn't gotten it yet. Verse 8 says, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? I mean, is this really part of the plan? And Jesus says, yeah, I need to go there, and I, I need to go do God's business. In verse 16, Thomas, therefore, who is called the twin, or Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go and we may die with him. Kind of reminds me of Joshua and Caleb, right? If God promised the promised land, we'll be just fine. Let's go. This is the Thomas. So, so we think of Thomas being doubting Thomas. Instead, the man who needed confirmation, like everybody else, He's just a scapegoat. You know, they had a lack of faith uh, themselves in their, in their walk. In the same scene in, in John chapter 20, uh, beginning at 19, that you have with the other apostles, is the same scene with Thomas. There, there's no difference other than Jesus says exactly what Thomas needs. Put your hands in, in my hand, in my side. What I, what I gained from, from this is Jesus knows what we need. To strengthen our faith. And sometimes, you know, I, you, you start struggling and maybe, maybe we become ill or, or something happens. Have you ever thought for just a moment to step back and ask, God, are you strengthening my faith? Because all through the scriptures you read, Romans 5 and in James and other places, that trials build us up. They strengthen our faith. And they bring proven character. Proven character brings hope. And that hope gives us what we need. And what Thomas needed was just that 
that edge, if you will, that understanding that this is Jesus. And when he got it, he got it. And Thomas, like the other apostles, also was, he was executed, killed with a spear. But he was willing to die for the Lord. Thomas believed, John 14, that Jesus was, and we might say is, the way. Right? And he wanted to go wherever Jesus wanted to go. Verse 1, Jesus began to teach, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. A scapegoat. Now you would have, to, if you were there, you'd have to say, "Well, oh, uh, you mean you mean the garden where you often go? Where I mean, I don't know. We Thomas is the one who says it. He says in verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you where you are going. How do we know the way? We don't know how to get there. Everyone else thought it." But the scapegoat said it. And Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Thomas. I I think we just have to kind of rethink Thomas for just a moment. Luke 24, please. And was Thomas the only one who doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, and then I ask the question even uh, for us. Have we doubted the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you doubt sometimes whether God really has your life under control? Do you find yourself as a, oh yeah, there we go, a doubting Thomas? Maybe it really applies to us and not. Maybe it's easier to point the finger at him, but you know, three more pointing back at me, right? It's easier to blame someone else. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time in my faith like Thomas was. Thomas wasn't having a hard time in his faith. Thomas was having the exact same time as everyone else. Right? It's tough. They were all hiding. Thomas wasn't in that locked room hiding like everyone else. Luke 24, beginning of verse 9. Not the only one who doubted. Verse 9 says... They returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. They were saying, he isn't there. Right? That was their message. Jesus is not there. And, and these words appeared to them as nonsense, but they would not believe them. Wait. The apostles? Yeah. The apostles wouldn't believe. No, come on. Okay? No, Jesus didn't. Well, I know he said he would, but, you know, right? Did they really believe it? And I wonder sometimes in our, in our walk of faith and in our life of living with Jesus, we're going to Matthew 28, do I really, truly believe in Jesus? That he really did rise from the grave? And if I believe that, does my life reflect what I believe. 
Or do I too struggle a little bit with, well, maybe, maybe I don't struggle with the resurrection. Maybe I just kind of am going along to get along. Do I struggle with the fact that he's going to come back? Do I struggle with the fact that he's going to separate the righteous from the wicked? Do I struggle believing really what God has told me? And God has said in his word over and over again, they did. Matthew 28, verse 16. Remember the rumor went out, right? The angel appeared and rolled away the stone. And Okay, there's confirmation that Jesus isn't there. The guards told a lie with the, the, the Sanhedrin, if you will, or the Pharisees. Those that came up with this idea that, oh, here, we're going to say somebody came with a, with a, a torch and a, and a saw, and they, and they had electricity, and, they, and they, they cut the seal off of the stone, and then they, and not, the guards didn't hear it, though, right? And then they rolled the stone away. It was a lot of them. It was a big stone. And they rolled the stone away, and then they secretly went inside of there, and they got the body, and they picked it. Oh, they had to unwrap it first. And they unwrapped it inside the tomb while they're trying to steal it, even though the guards are standing right there. And they said, okay, let's just tell everybody that somebody stole the body. Why don't it make any sense? Because you wouldn't take the time to unwrap the body if you're trying to be secret, right? And how much noise did they have to make to roll this huge stone away? So this rumor goes out, and the apostles somehow became duped in this as well. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. It's like, that's him. What do you do? Am I wrestling with my faith? You know, I, I don't look back at these guys and, and laugh and, and, and making fun of them. I'm, I'm looking and saying, okay, God has given me all the evidence. And I look at my own life and I recognize, wait a minute. He's given me the evidence too. I don't have to see the resurrection. I mean, it's recorded everywhere. But I can look at my life and watch and, and, and observe and examine the amazing transformation that God has put and done to my mind and know that only God could do that. I have all the evidence in front of me. How about you? What more do you need? Right? What more do we really actually need to believe in in heaven and all the greatness of God and the heavenlies and all that God has done for us. What more, what do you need for your faith? Well, we know what Thomas needed. If you pray about what you need, God, he'll let you know. He'll show it to you. But you have to believe. Look at Mark chapter 16. They struggled in their belief even though the evidence was right in front of them. Mark 16, verse 11. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Now, wait a minute. I, I mean, these great women, were are they liars? I always think about Jesus' brothers. I'm like, your mother tells you, hey, you know, your son. He explains the whole process, and the Bible says, and even his brothers weren't believing in him. I mean, did they think Mary was just a bold-faced liar? Like, why would mom make that up? 
you know, right? It's pretty amazing, right? It's amazing. Well, here, here the message comes, and, and even though they've been told that Jesus is, has risen from the dead, they refuse to believe it. You ever hardened your heart against God? You ever been shown something, and you know it's from God? You ever, you ever prayed about something, and then it happened? Maybe you took the credit for it. I don't know, right? Maybe I've done that. You know, take the credit. Oh, look what I've done. God has given us so much evidence. Are our eyes open? Can we see? Can we see what God has delivered to us? Mark 16 and the verse is 14. And afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who has seen him after he had risen. You, you guys lived together for these three years and, and, and worshiped together and fellowshiped together and walked together. And Why would they just make this up? You, you're, you're acting like the Romans. You're, you're acting like, like the Pharisees. You're acting like the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't. No, I need you to realize and believe what's, in, what's before you. That's kind of the message tonight. Do you believe the message that is before you? When you go back and you take an inventory of your entire life, do you believe the greatness of God in your life in particular? Your life. Not my life. Your life. And how you can say, Without a shadow of a doubt, this is God. And he's blessed me. And if you say, well, I don't know, I don't know if I can believe the Bible. You don't have to believe this incident only in the Bible. It's written everywhere. The whole idea that a man was in the tomb and the man woke the next day was, you know, was gone. Right? Three days, he, he rose. He's, something happened to the body. There's controversy all over. Well, did he mean, yeah, he wasn't there, and this, the, 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 for, for real, the, the wrappings were there, and the, all that happened. There was an issue in the gut. We, all that happened, and he was gone, and we just don't know how he, you know, but it, but it did. Something happened. Do we believe God? Or do we believe those whom started the rumor that they came and stole his body away? So I guess empower them so they could die later. That makes sense, right? Hey, guys, let's do this. Let's steal the body. And then let's tell everybody, no, he rose. And then let's keep that lie going until they kill us. Isn't that a great plan? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And, of course, there are miracles to follow after this. Luke chapter uh, 24. Back to Luke 24. What does God need to bring into our lives to help us in our walk of faith to be stronger in our belief? Have I doubted God? Am I the title that we've given to Him? Am I a doubting Thomas? I mean, all the evidence is in front of me. Luke 24 and verse 36. And while they were telling these things, 
he stood in their midst. They were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then he says the same thing. See my hands and my feet, and it's I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And, and later on he's going to eat with them, and, and a spirit doesn't eat, the Bible tells us that. Look at how many times Jesus came to them. And they still wrestled with what they, what they saw with their own eyes. They saw it. They touched him. Sometimes I create a monster within myself. Right? I mean, something that's so plain and, and so simple, and yet because of my hardened heart, I just, I just don't, don't see or I'm not willing to surrender to what's true. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it, you got to pause there for a minute. You, just can't, you can't read through that, right? It doesn't go, oh, that's not Jesus. Yes, it is. It doesn't work like that, right? They, it, there's some time in there. There's a, there's a time lapse. And while they still could not believe it for joy... And were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? He's still got to prove it to them. He says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not a spirit. I'm Jesus. Right? I'm God. Thomas, my Lord and my God. I'm God. I, I, can't, I told you I was going to do this. I've, how many times have I told Last week we looked at it. How many times did I tell you that I was going to rise from the dead? Answer, not enough. Right? How many times does he have to tell us? And then the verse says, and he took it and ate it before them. And that's not the last time he'll appear to them. He'll appear to them again in Acts chapter 1. And so tonight the question is, am I doubting that Jesus will come again? Or maybe that, that there, is, there is, really isn't a way. That God has made a separation between the righteous and the wicked. And that you being here tonight is in obedient faith. And that you love God and that God's going to take you home. You stay faithful to Him and stay true. Do you believe in the afterlife? Or you kind of doubt it? Do you believe it? Is it really? Is there such thing really as... Heaven and hell, is there really, is paradise really there? It's Taurus, and do you believe in the greatness of the heavenlies that God has made? Do you believe in heaven? And you say, well, tell me something about heaven. He doesn't have to. He, he's showing it to you. If he made the earth this great, what do you think heaven's going to be like? What else do you need? I don't know. I don't know. The lesson is yours. Tonight, if you're struggling in your faith, and we can pray with you, pray for you. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, you have not surrendered to God, we encourage you to surrender to God and the waters of baptism that you might become one of His children, that you might enter the heavens to be with Him forevermore, staying faithful and true with Him. 
tonight, if we can help in any way, please uh, come all together. We stand and sing our song of invitation.